Ten seconds, Super. Kiss my heart, I want you to hold it between your knees. There's never a cop around when you need one. You got a little pretty mail thingy. Well, do you, Bunk? I'm gonna nail you for picking your feet and putting up This cat shop is a bad mother. Shut your Welcome to Vintage Video's 12 Days of Christmas, where as a special treat this year, we'll be reviewing all of our Patreon poll options for December of 1973, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I am Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 50th anniversary of the release of Day of the Dolphin on December 19, 1973. It was written by Buck Henry, based on a novel by Robert Merle, directed by Mike Nichols, and released by Avco Embassy Pictures. In 1967, French novelist Robert Merle's novel, Un animal du de raison, which literally translates to An Animal Given Reason, was published. From there, it was adapted into English by Helen Weaver in 69 and retitled The Day of the Dolphin. And both the French and English language versions play mostly as a satire on the Cold War and have only broad strokes in common with the film story. I will just mention here that the novel does not base its subject matter on the experimentations of neuroscientist John C. Lilly whose works with sensory deprivation we saw adapted in the first season of this podcast into Ken Russell's Altered States, while the film adaptation seems to base George C. Scott's Dr. Terrell on Lily specifically. I think we also mentioned Lily in our review of Scanners when they're making jokes about scientists working with dolphins as a tool of war. John C. Lilly worked for several years teaching bottlenose dolphins to speak English at a property in the Virgin Islands. Footage of the place, which came to be known as The Dolphin House, looks very similar to the center featured in this film. In a bizarre combination of this film and Altered States, the dolphin teacher, Margaret Howe Levatt, would conduct lessons while Lily provided telepathic support from within a sensory deprivation chamber above the lessons. <laughs> telepathic support. <laughs> very helpful. Can I get that job? <laughs> I provide... I was upstairs doing all kinds of brain work. <laughs> You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> well, I fell asleep in a tank of water. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of bottles floating in there with you. It wasn't this full when you got in. <laughs> Most of this liquid is LSD. Recordings of their progress are obviously nowhere near the level we see in this film, and the dolphins seem only to mimic syllable counts and speaking patterns. Say, Margaret, Margaret. <laughs> Lily's work was chronicled in his novel, Mind of the Dolphin, and he went on to sue eventual distributor Avco Embassy, alleging plagiarism on the part of both the original French novel and subsequent adaptations, and eventually settled out of court for a mere $1,500. <laughs> which sounds like his attorney knew he had no case, yeah. and any settlement at all would satisfy his allegations that he was owed something for the theft. Lily's book is fucking weird, though. For starters, Lily asserts that within his tank he regularly convened with a team of three spirits, jointly nicknamed ECHO, an acronym for the Earth Coincidence Control Office. They were the ones who initially advised him to divorce his wife and teach dolphins to talk. <laughs> so he just fucking did it. Yep. He quit his job and taught dolphins to talk, and people gave him money to do that. Later weirdnesses arose when, after years of isolation with just Peter, the dolphin from their experiments, his instructor, Levat, seems, from the words of the novel, to have embarked on an unapologetic sexual relationship with the animal. What? The story was recently parodied in an SNL sketch entitled The Dolphin Who Learned to Speak. 
And then one day I was in the water with Gerald when he got that glassy look in his eye that meant he was having an urge, so to speak. And so I turned to Mary and I said, uh, why don't I just yank him off real quick? <laughs> just like that, it just came out. At first I wasn't sure it was ethical, but we had to for the science. <laughs> It also managed to come up in Rick and Morty season six, episode five, the final desmithation. Well, butterfly on a corn cob, I see that I've romanticized a wild animal the same way Margaret Howe did when she jerked off that dolphin in the 1960s. <laughs> Both she and I assaulted a captive creature, then expected it to be reciprocal. Well, jupity boop, time to die. I have to assume that early drafts delved deeper into these sordid details because somehow the first director attached was Roman Polanski. <laughs> he was scouting English locations in August of 1969 when the Manson family broke into his home and murdered his pregnant wife, actress Sharon Tate. Polanski dropped out of the project immediately and was quickly replaced with Franklin J. Schaffner, but producer Joseph Levine, head of distributor Avco Embassy, was not interested in a Schaffner production and bought the rights back from Universal to attach Mike Nichols, with whom he had previously teamed up on The Graduate and Carnal Knowledge, and Nichols had a third picture left on his deal with Levine. Avco Embassy contracted Buck Henry to compose an adaptation for Nichols after the two had previously teamed up on The Graduate and Catch-22. In 1972, George C. Scott and wife Trish Vandeveer were announced as co-stars. Scott had worked with director Nichols on stage, but this would be their first film together. But things were off to a rough start when Scott called out sick for the first three shoot days. Scott was paid $750,000 for the part, nearly a tenth of the film's $8.5 million budget. Producer Levine has explained that the film's pre-sales for television markets had nearly matched the full budget, and NBC was even considering a television adaptation, which seems crazily similar to Flipper to have ever been a real option. Yeah. Production would take place mostly on Abaco Island in the Bahamas. Buck and Ginger, who play Alpha and Beta, the film's central dolphins, were caught and trained specifically for the film. Huh. Despite a poor box office take, the film did land Oscar nominations for music and sound, but lost both. The opening credits unfurl under a dramatic score and close-up inserts of dolphins swimming in water. Suddenly, George C. Scott speaks directly into camera with a black background. That's how he starts every movie, is yeah. speaking directly into camera with some important backdrop. Well, also, the the whole opening credit sequence is done with this horror movie score. Yeah. It's like... Like this dolphin's going to murder a bunch of Get people. Ready. Yeah. Can we make that movie? Yeah. Is, I, I was like, it's like I, I've seen this film before. I don't remember it being orca So ominous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine that your life is spent in an environment of total physical sensation. That every one of your senses has been heightened to a level that in a human being might only be described as ecstatic. That sounds directly like... Lily talking about mm -hmm. the chamber again. We cut to slow motion footage of dolphins doing tricks in the ocean, catching plastic balls and throwing them to people standing on the land nearby. Paul Sorvino, as a character we'll come to know as Mahoney, flinches away from the ball and the water with it, but another man catches the ball in midair. These same men are led to a platform on the water where a marine biologist holds up a card with a circle and a dolphin collects a hula hoop from the water. Next, he shows the dolphin a square shape and the dolphin collects a square floating in the water. Is it a couple of wavy lines? <laughs> it is a star. Very good. You can't see these, can you? It puts the circle. The circle. In the square hole. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> the man prepares to show the dolphin a triangle, but Sorvino gets them to show the circle again as a test. The dolphin looks at the circle and goes nowhere, and Sorvino smiles. 
We keep cutting back to George C. Scott telling us factoids about how intelligent dolphins are. They can communicate with each other across large distances. They have giant brains. Mahoney is led to a doctor's office with a dolphin on a gurney and all sorts of wires connected to its head, measuring its vital signs. They keep slapping this dolphin, like, as if that's going to comfort it. Yeah. It's like, it's not a dog or a cat. I I mean, it's kind of a dog, right? (laughs) They're doggish. Yeah, but we're, we're... George C. Scott just said, imagine every sense of your body being heightened. And they're just like, whap, whap, whap. Imagine if every slap felt like 10 slaps. Oh, I don't have to imagine it. I'll do it to this dolphin. Let me slap you right on your melon when it gets all the sonar. I'm sure that that rapid sound is what you want to hear. Is this helping you map the room? (laughs) George C. Scott as Dr. Terrell presents stock footage of a dolphin birth in captivity. The first dolphin birth in captivity. The second the baby is free of its mother, it's pushed to the surface for a first gasp of air. The dolphin, nicknamed Alpha, is played by a dolphin named Buck after screenwriter Buck Henry. Dr. Jake Terrell opens the floor to questions from his audience. Alpha has been nicknamed Fa by most of the crew that work with him. One of the questions seems to cross a line, and Dr. Terrell's answers get defensive. What about the experiments that the military are I don't know anything about the military. But certainly you've heard about the misuse of animals like dolphins that the government is rumored uh, to... Just a moment, please. Uh, I'm not a political scientist. My degrees are in biology and zoology and behavioral psychology. The government and I uh, pay very little attention to each other. Dr. Jake Terrell says that he hopes in his experiments with Fa to learn the secrets of dolphin sonar, dolphin language, and the evolutionary benefit of returning to the sea after millennia as a land animal. Another guest asks if dolphins can speak English, and he assumes that whatever this person saw on television was an illusion. Or it is possible that... They were just doing mimicry or something? Well, uh, I guess I don't want to get into spoilers for the film, but it is possible that this was something that was leaked. It's possible, but she said it was on a television broadcast. I feel Mm. like they would know if this was leaked. Yeah. As the group leaves the building, Fritz Weaver, as Harold DeMilo arrives, he asks if he can do anything to help. Jake reminds him that his team is owed grant money, but DeMilo wants answers as to how it will be spent. Jake makes DeMilo's chauffeur drive him to the marina a half hour away. Jake, that's 30 miles in the wrong direction. Tell him to drive fast. I'm in a hurry. Drive fast. He's in a hurry. He jumps into a boat named Erewhon 2. Erewhon being an anagram of nowhere, and likely a reference to Samuel Butler's 19th century novel of the same name about a paradise separated from society. Or... A reference to selling vegan water for $30 a bottle. Oh, is that a thing too? <laughs> I just per, like imagine it as the word everyone with an accent. Like, Erewhon, check it out. I got a boat, Erewhon. You've seen those stores though, right? I haven't. Oh, it's like. I'm sure it's a thing. It's super fancy. They're like fancier than Whole Foods and like everything there costs like 30 40 50 $60, but they're just regular groceries. I'm sure theirs is a reference to Day of the Dolphin, though. Probably. This is a small boat, but big enough for a small bed below deck. And Dr. Terrell asks the captain, Mike, played by Edward Herman, for a wake-up call when they get back to his foundation. It sounds like there's been some kind of accident back at home. And as he arrives, Jake is upset to hear that Alpha has been left alone in the wake of it. Wake. (laughs) Water. (laughs) One marine biologist, Lana, leaves to be with Alpha as Jake follows marine biologist David to see about Maggie's injured leg. Apparently, she was trying to climb out of Alpha's tank, and he bit her and pulled her back into the water. Was he uh, excited? That's what, the third time this week, huh? This is the closest we come in the film version to implying anything sexual with the dolphins, and Maggie jokes that maybe Jake is jealous. I mean, there's subtle 
undertones later, uh, but this is the first first and only spoken reference. And yeah, and coming up, there's a whole underwater yeah, like the ballet moment. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what is happening? She excuses him to check on Fa like she knows he wants to. He excuses all the supervisors in Fa's tank, offering to take over for them. He takes a seat at the edge of the tank, and Alpha swims up to greet him. Well, Fa. You've had quite a day, haven't you? So Jake lied when he suggested to the woman earlier that dolphins are incapable of speaking English. Do you guys recall the last time we heard a character emulating this particular dolphin voice? They were swimming in a swimming pool with a dolphin inflatable, and they were voicing the dolphin. I don't know. Night Riders. Oh, no, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maggie stands in the doorway of her cabana and looks across the campus to the doors outside Fa's aquarium. The camera pushes through the doors, and inside we see Jake in scuba gear swimming with Fa, and it's very romantic, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just of, sort of stroking each yeah, other. There's just a lot of rubbing going on. A lot on. of wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. Not since Beauty and the Beast's tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> it was... This is the equivalent of this. This is like that pillow fight from uh, my brilliant career. <laughs> That's what's going on here. We cut to DeMilo meeting with Mr. Mahoney. Mahoney wants to visit and inspect Jacob Terrell's Marine Biology Center. Mr. DeMilo pretends to be unaware that Mahoney has reached out several times to Jake and been refused visits before. If he is denied access to the facility again, he intends to release an article that would paint their organization in a negative light in a way that might prevent their continued funding and some other stuff that we don't see yet. Mr. DeMilo doesn't appreciate being blackmailed, but also doesn't see an alternative to acquiescing. The next morning, Maggie sees a plane fly out over the facility. She seems annoyed by it, but then she's cheered up by eavesdropping on Fa and Jake chatting poolside. She pages him on the intercom to announce their visitor. Jake was trying to get Fa to say hand, but the dolphin wasn't cooperating, so he leaves to see who has arrived. Alpha doesn't want him to go. No, you can't say a simple word like hand. Jake tosses him a treat before leaving. I can't, I can't, I can't listen to that without laughing. <laughs> it's also unintentionally funny because later in that SNL sketch, the joke becomes that the dolphin loves getting jerked off so much that hand is one of the only words he can say. <laughs> yes, but soon he started to regress, really only doing a few signs, uh, the signs for hand, and now, and who gonna J me O. <laughs> Out on the dock, Jake and Maggie Terrell stand by looking quite disappointed to receive Mr. DeMilo. DeMilo is here, threatening to withdraw the support of the Franklin Foundation to avoid the blowback of whatever Mr. Mahoney is threatening to publish. He demands an explanation for how $200,000 was spent keeping Alpha alive for a single year. Jake takes him to the room, which is filled with recording equipment. He cues up some tapes of recordings of Alpha. As he moves month by month through various reel-to-reels, the language that Alpha is able to master gets more and more complicated. Apparently nobody told Jake that you don't need a separate player for each tape. <laughs> you can pull these reels off and then make a library. Yeah. It's like he bought 12 boom boxes for his 12 favorite tapes. <laughs> DeMilo is half listening to the recordings, but mostly distracted by the dolphin out the window in the aquarium beside him. And then the 12 overlapping recordings. Right, yeah. It's like, which one am I supposed to be listening to? Wait, was to? he really good at the beginning and he sucks now? I have no idea. They're all playing at the same time. By the time he gets to the last reel-to-reel, -reel, all the tapes are overlapping, but there's distinct words in the dolphin's vocabulary. Ball, trim, 
would you teach the dolphin the word car or yeah. coat? <laughs> like any of that. Like the, I. I mean, presumably you would drive them somewhere. No, occasionally. they're on an island. Yeah, there probably aren't any cars on but this they, island. They put them on stretchers and take them on boats and maybe take yeah, them somewhere yeah, else. So, so maybe boat, they go in a car ride so, somewhere. So boat makes sense. Yeah, and the boat would probably take them to a car. <laughs> Otherwise, where are you taking this this dolphin? You're not going to take a boat just floated on into a veterinary clinic. No, I mean I feel like you would simplify the vocabulary though and be mm. like boat, land boat. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. DeMilo looks on the verge of pissed off because he thinks he's being fucked with, and he might assume that they're scamming the foundation out of $200,000. While DeMilo is here on the island, a second dolphin is being introduced to Fa's tank. This one is predictably named Beta, and they hope it will be a suitable mate for Alpha. Alpha is very excited as the new dolphin is pushed into his tank. The dolphins are fast friends, swimming together and leaping out of the water in sync with each other. DeMilo is satisfied that his foundation is getting their money's worth from this research, and agrees to keep his progress under wraps. But in return, he asks for his friend Curtis Mahoney to be granted access to the facility. We can't hear Jake's response because the camera backs way up behind Maggie watching the men talk from her cabana balcony, hundreds of feet away. We jump forward in time a couple weeks, and Jake is arguing with Fa. It turns out the dolphin stopped talking the day he was given a mate. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think he's learning his own language from Beta. Must be a great relief. We cut to Mike on his boat ferrying Mahoney to the center. Mahoney looks fairly seasick, but Mike doesn't have a good guess as far as how much longer it will be. This reminds me of when we're bringing the attorney to Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, yeah. And people are just not caring how nauseous he looks everywhere. Jake spends all day investigating Fa's tank for issues that might be affecting his speech. He's informed that Mr. Mahoney is arriving now, and he orders Alpha and Beta to be transferred to a holding tank during the visit. They will be kept secret for Mr. Mahoney, but he was present for Jake's lecture about dolphin intelligence, and Mahoney wants to meet Alpha. Jake points him to a different dolphin and claims it's Alpha, and the dolphin splashes Mahoney. We get an interesting shot in the special building with Alpha's tank. David tells Mr. Mahoney that soon they can move some dolphins in here, but we're seeing this conversation from the POV of the shelves that were previously crowded with reel-to-reel tape decks. So all that equipment has been moved out of the room to complete mm-hmm. the illusion. Mahoney speaks with Lana, one of the marine biologists, about the fake alpha and asks how he got a bite on his dorsal fin. She blames a shark, and Mahoney reminds her that this dolphin was born in captivity and has never been in the open ocean. David interrupts the conversation to assure him that it's not a bite mark and just an injury from when he jumped out of the tank once. That happened before Lana was working at the center, so she is mistaken. Crisis averted. In the middle of the night, we see a technician named Marianne has been left in the special building to observe the empty aquarium, and she notices someone trying to open the door. She phones Jake's room to verify it isn't him and lets Maggie know that someone's trying to break into the building. Jake is asleep, but Maggie comes to investigate. Nothing else happens that night, and in the morning, Mahoney is sent on his way again. Do we ever figure out who this was? It was either Mahoney or his partner. Okay, so it is Mahoney trying to get more information. It could be that they gave Mahoney a room here, and so his partner is doing things Mm -hmm. while he's staying still so they don't suspect him. Alpha is moved back into the special tank, and Jake closes the hatch between the tanks to prevent both dolphins from moving together. It pains everyone to see the dolphins waiting on either side of the gate for access to each other. Jake sociopathically asks Fa what he wants, basically demanding the dolphin to speak again if he wants his wife back. Fa is quickly riled up, and Maggie worries aloud that Alpha will jump into the other tank. Jake assures her that he's unable to make that jump, and Alpha swims laps around the tank, bashing his tail against the gate as hard as he can. Each slot seems to pain Jake physically, 
because he doesn't want to hurt these creatures. Not physically, anyway. Traumatizing them emotionally, that's yeah, totally yeah. fine. <laughs> Hours later, Alpha is still banging hard on the door every few seconds, and the thumping can be heard all around the island. That night, Jake sleeps on a blanket beside Alpha's tank. In the middle of the night, he awakens to Alpha speaking English again. He's shocked by the fluent return of English. Jake rushes to lift the gate between them and reward Fa with access to his mate. The dolphins celebrate with more synchronized flips through the air. Triumphant music scores the reunion. The next night, a party is thrown to celebrate their successes, and Jake is presented with a giant dolphin-shaped cake with a candle in it. It looks to be molded out of tuna meat or something. <laughs> I can't tell this? what the hell this is. This looks like something you would see in a Fancy Feast commercial. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like it's made of cat food. It really does. <laughs> it's so and, gross. And why would you... I, I always question cakes that are modeled after things that you wouldn't eat. Yeah, that is weird. Like, you know, like, oh, we made this... This cake that looks like a puppy. Is In like, the shape of the dolphin, we would be mm. horrifically objected to. Well, eating. I wasn't sure if this was if this was for the people to eat or for the dolphins to well, eat. Well, we don't see anybody eat it, so who knows? I, I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was just a sculpture. Just a meat sculpture. <laughs> As is our tradition on this island. <laughs> Every time something good happens, we make a sculpture of meat and we put it in the museum. Yeah. It's it's her favorite medium to work with. Yeah. It's just meat. meat medium yeah. rare. <laughs> The next day, one of the biologists does a quick dive to check on a tank connected to ocean water. There's one loose section of the iron wall, but he tightened it. He doesn't think it's a big enough section for a shark to get in, though. Foreshadowing. No, not really. There's no sharks in there. <laughs> Jake gets a call from Mr. DeMilo at the foundation. It turns out Mahoney knows about both dolphins that they hid, and he intends to publish a story about all his findings here. How in hell did he find out? We don't know. But you can imagine how... <laughs> disappointed the people of the foundation are that we kept them in the dark too oh boy knowing what we know so far the obvious answer would be that demilo the only man outside who just learned the full extent of their program obviously told this dude who just strong-armed him into a tour in the first place that's not the case it's but that's right. what it, it should be obvious to them that demilo told him because that's the yeah, only person i, mean, who I just guess found that's out. what that that is probably what he should be thinking but i don't Knowing what we know about who is behind this, the 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 problems at Moving the end forward, of the film, yeah. why does Demilo call them and tell them anything about Mahoney? Because he wants them to make a statement first, so that the foundation doesn't look bad. Okay, I I understand the logic of it going forward. Like again, like try not to spoil from from Demilo's perspective though. Yes, that I, he from, would say this guy called me and he said he knows everything and he's going to report because it because I think that's a lie. Okay. That that I think that is a one hundred percent suspicions. Lie. But no. but he has a connection that he's getting the information from. I, I think that he's he's telling this to Jake in order to push forward a plan to have this meeting with the council. Okay. The the Franklin Council. To give them an excuse to come out to Oh, yeah. to get them off the island. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that the secret's out at the Franklin Foundation, the board is very angry to learn they've been kept in the dark on these lingual developments. They will continue to keep things on the down low as best they can, and we cut to a boat pulling in by cover of night with Curtis Mahoney aboard. In their cabana together, Maggie tries to convince Jake that it's a good thing the secret is out. When she asks Jake to communicate his fears, they don't make a whole lot of sense. 
He's worried that the dolphins will become celebrities and sell out as spokespeople for cereal and shit. It's like, what are you really talking about, Jake? Because that sounds insane to me. I, I guess once you, once the dolphins can talk. They're going to talk to other people that aren't me. Well, companies the, are going to want an endorsement deal. Yeah. And, <laughs> and would, I mean, if the dolphins agree to the deal, then he's out of the loop. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because at what point does the dolphin have yeah, you know, exactly. its own? That's when you put the thing in like one of those Britney Spears trusts where you're like, sorry, <laughs> dolphin doesn't get to do anything yeah, for yeah. itself until it's 40. It's then like, it can start making decisions. He only gives you one fish at a time. We'll give you 10 fish at a time. Yeah. <laughs> They'll end up with a high-priced agent in a saltwater swimming pool in Beverly Hills. No, <laughs> they won't need that. I mean, I, saltwater swimming pools in Beverly Hills would probably happen, but... Yeah, but wouldn't that suck compared to what they have, which is like an island with access to the ocean? Like, if... if Couldn't Fa, if he had his own rights, say, like, release me. <laughs> release me into the ocean where there are infinity fish for me to enjoy. He... he luckily, Jake has not taught him those words. Yeah, he, he knows <laughs> nothing of freedom. I can't have people tell him that he's a slave. <laughs> it's the allegory of the cave. Yeah. <laughs> in the allegory of the people in the cave by the Greek guy. That's from a They Might Be Giant song. Mm. She reminds him that he spent months and years teaching these dolphins to speak English. He clearly did that for some reason beyond just having conversations here. Like, couldn't you just find a person if you were so desperate to talk? We should have become like them. Like what? Like what they are. Instinct. And energy. And let them go. Send them back to the sea. He doesn't think they'd survive long in the ocean anyway, which doesn't make sense later, but yeah. okay. Mahoney has to cut his way through dense forest to get back to the center after making landfall on the opposite side of the island. He brings with him another man, and the two squat with binoculars and a canteen to spy on the marine biology center. DeMilo and four other members of the board are seated in a row watching Jake work with Fa. One of the judges, Dunhill, is invited to speak with Fa. He asks why man is good, and Fa answers with just the word smooth, which is unsatisfying to the asker. Another member of the board, Schwinn, played by Severn Darden, asks the dolphins what they think of sharks, but Fa has never met a shark, and Beta doesn't understand English. This is just a dolphin. You don't need to talk to both of them. <laughs> the dolphins freak out because Beta knows what a shark is, and she's afraid of it. So apparently... Somehow, Fa, without knowing what a shark was, was able to translate the word into dolphin for her? Yes, I, I, I'm assuming that's what's happening That here. makes no sense. Well, but they might already be training uh, her in some way, right? Maybe, yeah. It does seem like she at least understands English if she doesn't speak it yet. The, the ultimate test would be to teach her words that Fa doesn't know to see if she communicates those words to him oh, okay. and he learns them. Like freedom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a joke about he already knows the word release. Believe oh. me. <laughs> Yikes. The next judge, Ben Wallingford, lies to the dolphins that there's a shark in the tank, so B jumps over the fence into the open ocean. Mike jumps into his boat to chase her down, but Jake asks Fa to handle it. Fa! Fa! Fa, bring B here now! But this guy's such an idiot. He's just like, now, what if there was a shark? And he's like, don't say what if there like, don't, right. we, they can't understand hypotheticals. And he's like, okay, fine. How about this? There's a shark in your tank. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, way worse than what you're doing now. Foss swims out to B and the two jump back over the fence into the tank together. He reassures them there are no sharks here. One, two, three, 
Wallingford is offended to be called a liar by a fish, and Jake advises him to stop contributing to the demonstration. Are you telling me to tell you to shut up? Ben! And I know they're not fish. They're cetaceans. The rest of the board echo Jake's sentiment because they can tell Wallingford is an idiot. Dunhill asks if these dolphins were released into the ocean, would they teach other dolphins to understand English? Jake says Fa is only teaching B so that Jake can speak with her. There would be no reason to teach dolphins in the ocean to speak with Jake if they will never encounter him. One of the judges asks why he speaks English, and Fa says he loves Pa and hugs Pa's leg. Shortly after this discussion, Jake is summoned largely against his will to a press conference to discuss his findings to the public. And he wants to, like, beat Mahoney to the punch by saying everything that they have because he thinks that they're going to twist the words of what he's doing here and make him seem like a psychopath. When all he's doing is teaching dolphins to talk Mm -hmm. and ostensibly doing LSD in a big tank of water (laughs) when, when no one's looking. Maggie offers to go with him. It sounds like Jake is taking the opportunity to voice a lot of his discomfort with how the foundation treats his research. While he's away from the island, a man with a cigarette sneaks into the building that houses Alpha's tank. This is Mahoney's partner from earlier. He waves a flashlight around the control room and meanders the corridors of the building. He stands at the edge of Alpha's tank for just a moment when suddenly the lights all flick off and he's either hit hard enough or shot so that the back of his head explodes outward and we hard cut to an alarm blaring the next morning. But it's not about him. It's a phone ringing. It just sounds like an alarm because there's only one phone on the island. Right. It's going to ring Very loud. important that people answer <laughs> it. One of the biologists, David, answers a phone on a post in the middle of the center, and we hear his half of the conversation with Jake. It sounds like he's asking David to do something that seems inadvisable, so David is asking for confirmation and trying Jake's patience. I'm not arguing with you. I said, I'm not arguing with you. I just don't understand why... Okay, I got it. We cut to Jake in the waiting room at Mr. Simon's office where he's being made to give a speech. Uh, It's important to note while David is on the phone, there's a boat that's anchored off the shore. Right. They are running behind schedule and Jake is approached by Mrs. Rome, Mr. Simon's executive secretary, here to explain the delay. Simon has allegedly been hospitalized and DeMilo is with him now. Jake is not buying the story, but unclear if he would be any less mad if Simon and DeMilo were actually in the hospital because he just seems like a grumpy old dude. He suspects he's being toyed with, and the press conference has been canceled for at least a week. When Jake and Maggie get back to the facility, he learns that David was either called by someone posing as Jake or faked the entire call, and Jake is upset about the actions taken in his absence. It's clear they tricked him into leaving the island to sabotage the place while he was gone. Evidently, Alpha and Beta were both placed on stretchers and loaded onto a stranger's boat. The dolphins didn't protest the move because they were told that Pa was on the boat, which was David's idea which is not good for David. The biologists who realize they have now been duped are sobbing, explaining themselves. Suddenly, Mike appears in the doorway with a cardboard sign that reads, Don't say anything. Mike is joined in the doorway by Mahoney, and Jake's eyes go red. He charges across the room, and Mike silently stops him, but it looks like he's just about to murder this guy. They pantomime to Jake that they must communicate covertly as a third party is recording them. Out loud, they admit there's nothing to be done tonight, and Mahoney follows a bug finder to a radio in a desk. He points out a listening device, and Maggie suggests they go for a walk to calm down. So this is always a trope that I hate. What? I hate when you find a bug in a device and then you start grabbing it. Yes. Like, it's like, you know what they're hearing on the other end? They're hearing you grab that. Yeah. Right? 
But maybe if he's only touching the wire, it wouldn't actually affect it that much. But, but he's like, he has to pick up the box, which is you're going to But if hear. it's still wired to the microphone, presumably the microphone is in the speaker face of that piece of radio equipment, right? right. But he has to pick it up. Yeah. So he's gonna, you're going to hear... You're going to hear something. Then but if they're all talking up. like, oh, I guess there's nothing we could do tonight at the same time, then you might think, oh, someone's just resting their foot on the boxer. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. But I, I always get yeah. mad. Don't when, handle the live mic if right. you don't want people to know you found it. Out on the beach, they sit at a table, and Mahoney explains that the foundation have been recording their work for six months. So this is the first we're learning that there are three parties at play. There's, there's the foundation, there is Jake and his people and the dolphins, and then there is Mahoney is actually working undercover for some sort of a government organization. We don't, mm. we never dial into that specifically. It's, it's sort of implied that it's like an FBI CIA situation. It wouldn't be CIA if it's no. domestic. Well, it. But well, he never, I mean, he never yeah. says an agency specifically. Right. Um, and the fact that he doesn't know a key piece of information later makes me even more in the dark of where... What it makes he, me think that he's uh, involved specifically with the executive branch, like maybe mm. Secret Service even. But then wouldn't he know... You would think he would be jumping to that conclusion much sooner. Yes. Yes. But the Foundation is aware of everything they've accomplished here, and they've known it the whole time. They were pretending to be mad that they were just let in on it. So that's why I think... The whole council, he's like, "Oh, Mahoney's going to publish because he's never he's never going to publish." Because and he doesn't not, even know the stuff yet. Yeah, and uh, but he was never going to publish anything because he's not actually he's not a journalist. A journalist, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but he, I mean, he could publish something even well, if he's no, not he, a journalist. He could, he could, but, but it would be counterintuitive to to his motivation here, right? So, uh, yeah. So that's why I believe that Demilo fabricated that just so yeah. he could get the council there. And as a as a proof of concept of what they want to accomplish. Right. Mahoney then informs them that David isn't who he says he was. His name's not David. It's William. C for Charles Conklin. Trained in the Navy as a demolitions man. Apparently David, or William Conklin, was arrested for heroin smuggling, and the Franklin Foundation were able to get him out and placed at this facility. He was sentenced for something like eight years, and they got him out in under a year, mm-hmm. which is... A huge reduced sentence. But, I mean, I guess my questions are, when did all of that happen? Because... I mean, he's been at the facility for about three years. Yeah, so so why did they put him in place that long ago? They're playing the long game. Yeah. I, I guess. I, I think they've, they've this really has been their plan game. from the start. It also seems like there are teams working on dolphin training all over the place. Because in the beginning, when we saw Mahoney doing tours of, like, Mm-hmm. dolphin exercises those were not jake's team right, and right, his men right. he was he was going to other dolphin trainers for some reason and then he went and listened to jake's speech and got specifically interested in this center but presumably david's been feeding them information for years so whose yeah. team is david on though is he is he's feeding information to this undercover agent and he's working for the foundation no 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 i think he's just working for the foundation okay then then who gave Mahoney all this information or he's just in a I position think, to know it by nature of the intelligence agencies yeah I think that yeah. he's just been okay doing his homework even though Mahoney seems to know the party responsible for today's dolphin napping he has no clue as to a motive and it might not even be illegal since the dolphins were technically paid for by the foundation Jake is astonished to learn that David might have connections that would shave years off his jail sentence and Mahoney points out that this goes higher up the food chain than any of them are grasping you might call them a part of the government what government do you work for? What government have you got? What the hell is that supposed to mean? Which I think 
maybe he's he's even higher up than a specific country's government and he works like like he works for interpol? like U- interpol or or you know i guess interpol would be the highest like police group maggie asks how mahoney went about strong arming the foundation into a tour of the place if they're so powerful and he explains that he stumbled upon david's origin story which they knew could mess everything up and potentially drive jake to shut things down he also blackmailed demilo with proof of a homosexual relationship that would have destroyed his family and then maggie tries to make him seem like a jerk like oh i how do you sleep with yourself at night and he's like this guy's cheating on his wife. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? It's, it's, I'm not just outing him for being gay. I'm outing him for <laughs> cheating on his wife and family. Just then, a phone rings, and DeMilo's voice tells him that the Dolphins will be returned unharmed if they promise not to intervene in whatever's going on. Don't leave the island, Jake. Do you understand? Of course, Jake doesn't even bother to hang up the phone before loudly announcing plans to leave immediately. <laughs> I think he wants him to hear it, too. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I won't leave the island. Hey, we're leaving the island now. Yeah, I was just kidding when I said that to them. Bye. Mike! Get the boat ready! He tells Mahoney, report it to the press, but he doesn't think that'll go so well. You're going to call the New York Times and tell them that a group of respectable businessmen stole some talking dolphins from you? Something like that. Why not? Are you prepared to give your interview in a padded cell? We have tapes of Alpha's speak. You want to bet? They double-check Alpha's building, and just as Mahoney predicted, the equipment has been sabotaged. All my tapes are missing. <laughs> John Travolta again. We, but we needed that scene of him putting reels on all the tape players yeah. and, like, turning them all on, but it's just static. Yeah, I, now I want to see the end of blowout but when the killer pulls back the curtain it's like a <laughs> <laughs> dolphin sound it's a good scream <laughs> or just the scene of John <laughs> putting other reels on but it's all the dolphins yeah. <laughs> every clip it's not static anymore it's just yeah it's just all this 12 overlapping <laughs> right <tapes>. right <laughs> oh my god now i have to put that on <laughs> that's going on the twitter <laughs> Mahoney flips on a light to survey the damage to the room and reveals the man whose head was busted open earlier floating upside down in the tank. But the water's not all full of blood. You would yeah, expect it yeah. to be dark. Well, I guess it's being filtered and processed. Oh, yeah. uh, I guess Take eventually the body, yeah. the body would eventually coagulate. Yeah. Apparently, this was a friend of Mahoney's doing a little investigating on his own when he was killed by the high-powered dolphin nappers. We cut to the open ocean where David lies again to Fa and B that they will see Pa in the morning. The dolphins are resting in stretchers, and water is being poured over them. The next day, we see David demonstrating the functionality of a limpet mine, and as the camera pulls back, we can see that the explosive will be released from a harness strapped to a trained dolphin, and then magnetically fastened to a ship from underneath. As the camera floats around the room, we see that all the men from the Franklin Foundation board are here observing this presentation. They didn't all need to be here for this. This was a needless risk. For them to all be here at the yeah. same time as, as what's going to yeah. happen happens. I, mean, I guess it's just to show that it's not the work of one individual in yeah. the foundation. It is it is the entirety yeah. of the foundation. But Back at the center, it finally occurs to Jake that the dolphins have no hope of surviving whatever mission these villains have in mind. Because as long as these dolphins can talk, they pose a threat to the operation. Maggie is horrified to see the power they've imbued these creatures with transformed into a liability. We see the dolphins released off the side of the boat with a little mine backpack on, and they're sent off to a practice target. Like the experiment with the shapes before, the dolphins are sent to attach their payloads to a boat bearing the flag of the office of the U.S. president. The boat has a man on board to supervise, suggesting these are not live mines. The dolphins pull off the mission without a hitch. Fa is getting impatient with Pa's absence, and Ben Wallingford, the asshole who kept lying about sharks in the tank, lies again that Pa is here and everything is great, 
so Fa starts freaking out. B is lifted to a higher deck of the ship, which distresses Fa further, so Wallingford starts loading a rifle, intending, presumably, to shoot the only talking dolphin in the known universe. <laughs> yeah. The team start blasting with four or five guns at once and succeed only in scaring Fa away. I was amazed that David's not at least like, guys, right. we waited three years for this dolphin to be able to talk. I don't even know why. I don't even know why it was important <laughs> that the dolphin could talk. I, well, that was that was going to be one of my questions. It's just like, were these guys just after any old trained yeah. dolphin that they could convince to go they could near a as, ship? Yeah, they could use the dolphin that got the triangle and circle and squares right from the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. They yeah. didn't need Fa for this. I, that's That was going to be you know my big question. It's like, why isn't there not a scene of him trying to explain... Well, I mean, I guess they do tell B in a little bit to find the boat. So, like, I think that... She does understand English. Yeah. And it just makes their important. job easier. Yeah. But why why would you want to get rid of your backup dolphin in case the first one doesn't work? Right. Why would you why would you intentionally try mm-hmm. to kill the smarter dolphin? And none of them are showing any hesitation, like, no, well, we have to shoot it now. And it's yeah. like, why do you have to shoot it right now? This is not Well, like, I think because they won't they won't perform their task with the other one around. But he was already leaving. Why do they have to kill him? Like, it's is Fa going to call the police <laughs> and say <laughs> he might that there were people that put a bomb on my back and made me? No, he's going to say they had a ball. I went to the flag, and the police are going to say I don't know what I don't know what. Don't, go, go talk to Aquaman. <laughs> Sorry, I don't get it. Also, it's it's th- this plan is very like sloppy. Yeah, in that it's like now go find the boat that has this flag. Oh, great. I'll only search for hundreds of square miles for this yeah. one boat somewhere. Well, they, well, they know no, where it's, it's going to be. It's supposed to be in this rich bay like area. Right. So there is a limited area in which the fancy but, boats are. But are they going to say, like, it's that way? Yeah, I would think it would like, be, like, within sight almost. Yeah. Like, it's like, go yeah. that way. But if it is within sight, there should also be Secret Service boats and, and mm-hmm. helicopters. And, and this boat should be well protected, even from a dolphin. <laughs> also, why are these mines on a timer? So that they explode. Why do they even come off of the harness? Yeah. Why not just have the dolphin just touch it and it's like, oh, I'm stuck here (laughs) until this thing goes off. Yeah. Like you need the, you don't need the dolphin to survive this. If the thing works, then you don't need the dolphin to come back. Jake and Maggie start releasing their other dolphins into the ocean and back on the bad guy boat, Fa has escaped unscathed, but Wallingford doesn't seem worried at all. They'll pop down to Dr. Terrell's place and kill everything there. Assuming he means people and animals. He's just going to, we're going to clean up behind ourselves at this point i assumed we'd get an escape from the planet of the apes moment where the other dolphin that they just released would get killed in fa's place when they mistake it for the one that can talk back at the facility mahoney wakes from a dream and seems to have struck on a terrifying theory he wakes up jake to suggest that the dolphin nappers might be headed to andrews bay you ever been there a lot of rich people go there catch fish that they don't eat they get natives to bait the hooks for it's them. very exclusive no Millionaires, movie stars, retired gangsters. Presidents? Yeah, so? I said retired gangsters. Yeah, (laughs) same thing. Do you remember the last time we saw people that were paying to have their hooks baited in the Caribbean so that they could go fishing and claim that they caught something huge? Was it the island? It was the island. (laughs) That was quick. I thought I was going to need to go through so many more clues. No, I was like, no, the island is, is, every frame of the island is burned into my brain, so... So I'm imagining an animal getting through a protected area that a man or a boat couldn't penetrate. I feel like the president's ship would be outfitted with 
sonar mm. and they would notice a dolphin approaching the ship and be at the ready for something yeah, you, if they saw a bomb on a dolphin because you would have to have something to protect you against divers coming right. aboard yeah there would be a sharpshooter on this boat mm-hmm. and they would be looking for things i noticed though that the plan makes no use of their ability to speak and in this case the talking is really only a liability because it turns a mute killing machine into a live witness use different dolphins <laughs> the theory is interrupted when mike spots fa on the horizon swimming to their center They rush out to meet him as he hops the fence into the large outdoor tank, and we cut back to the boat as David puts the finishing touches on the real deal, a live limpet mine. We cut back to Mike's speedboat, following Fa back to the scene of his escape, and Mahoney complains that they won't make it in time at this slow speed. He suggests throwing his buddy's corpse overboard to make better time. I don't know why they would have brought this body on the trip anyway. (laughs) Did they need to bundle their face off with the terrorists and a trip to the morgue? Surely there's better places to store this body back on your island. Yeah, uh, I I, I had a feeling that they maybe needed a fall guy. (laughs) Okay. It's just like stand him up at the front of the ship. Yeah. We're just going to have, we're just going to put him at the boat helm and just drive it into the yacht. But it can't be. I killed that guy. (laughs) When Jake realizes how desperate Mahoney seems, he decides to just send Fa on the mission alone. He tells Fa that the ball on B's back will hurt people, and they should not attach it where David and the board tell them to. Fa, stop B now! The men don't have enough gas to get anywhere except back to their island, so they turn around and just hope Fa saves the day. We cut back to the terrorists as David is waving the presidential flag in B's face again. Do you want Fa? First B, find boat. Put ball on your boat, then come back, see far. Be fine boat, now! She swims off in the direction of a boat with the flag in the distance. The rest of the terrorists just wait in the boat to hear an explosion. Outside, Fa and B are reunited. They swim so powerfully toward each other that I was almost certain they would collide hard enough to blow each other up. Instead, Fa communicates with B in their own language, and then they loop back under the terrorist yacht. David hears a magnetic click underneath them and peeks out the window to see Fa and B retreating bombless toward the horizon and delivers the most perfectly understated line of the film. Oh, shit. (laughs) And boom! The ship blasts full force into the sky like a mushroom cloud the exact diameter of their entire boat. Well, that mine was just packed full of explosives. I mean, he... he, Every square inch of the inside. Yeah. We cut to the office of Mr. DeMilo as Mrs. Rome enters and wordlessly delivers a message summarizing the incident and then leaves. He crosses his office to shred the paper. We cut to the Marine Biology Center where a trash... Wait, wait, wait. Explain that section again. Yeah. She brings the paper in and says... Where did this paper come from? I'm assuming the Coast Guard or somebody... There was an explosion. Secret Service heard an explosion. They went to investigate... Coast Guard was called. There was a bomb exploded this boat. They contacted the, but, the foundation that owns the boat. But the shredding of it wouldn't matter. The timeline of this, because it's cut, it's intercut with Fa getting back to the island. Right, yeah, like, no. The time seems, is probably weird. It seems like it's an immediate notice. And I'm like, how does anybody know that this boat that that is completely obliterated belonged to the foundation and that they are telling them now via a fax that this boat blew up with their buddies on it? Yeah, and I don't know if this is like a fax from the Coast Guard specifically well, yeah. or what it is. Well, to me, the only reason to shred it would be, oh, this is evidence. I have to get rid of it. Yeah. But if it came from a government agency, they're going to have copies and documentation. Yeah. So yeah. you shredding it doesn't mean anything. So it feels um, like somebody else yeah, with their organization, within their organization sent yeah. knew memo. that the boat blew up somehow. And like, I don't, just I don't so know you how know, that's possible. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the SS Minnow 
has yeah. uh, has been demolished. And he's like, well, that's really fucking incriminating. <laughs> and he just shredded it. Mm-hmm. We cut to the Marine Biology Center where a trash can full of documents are also being burned because he wants to erase all evidence of his talking dolphin. But he doesn't know where those tapes went. I mean, would they be on the yacht? Maybe. Also, you know, like... Thanks, like, like as far as like the marine biologists who were there with him, like, well, thanks for wasting four years of my life on nothing, <laughs> on something that I can never tell anybody yeah. about. Can't yeah. even put it on my resume because you made me shred all of my resumes. Mahoney warns the team that something is coming toward them in the water, and we see Fa and B have made it safely back to the facility. They hop the fence into the big tank, and Jake asks in Fa's words what happened to the ball. After a bit of back and forth, Fa has communicated that the ball, the terrorist ship, and their former employee, David, are no more. They have ceased to be. Pa, where is David? And the other men, where are they? I love that it knows to say it in a sad voice. Yeah. (laughs) Not, I'm sorry. (laughs) Whoopsie. Good luck charging me with any murder. Mahoney warns them that this is not over. There are men above these dead men who will come to finish the job, and they need to leave now. Pa decides that if Fa and B are to survive whatever happens, they need to leave the human world forever, and we get a sort of precursor to that Harry and the Henderson scene where Lithgow is pleading with the monster to leave for his own good. Monster? Yeah, he's a monster. (laughs) He's not a monster. He is inarguably a monster. Pa and Ma go to land. Fa and B go to water. Far not see man, not talk to man. Not talk. Swim, eat, play, not talk. The seaplane from the Franklin Foundation begins to circle them overhead. <laughs> and I thought that we were going to have a moment of, of DeMilo just like firing a rifle out of the plane <laughs> at them. Like, oh, die. Well, and, and like, it's like Mahoney keeps saying we need to go. And then Mahoney just goes, all right, goodbye. I'm leaving. He's yeah. Like, Where are you going to go? It's like, I don't You're- know. There's no more lines. I'm going to take your only boat, and I'm out. Me and my dead buddy. (laughs) (laughs) He's still on the boat. The dolphins tell Pa that they love him, and he forcefully shoves them away. No. No light. Pa is not. The dolphins call to them again from the ocean as Jake and Maggie pace the beach together, and they struggle not to respond. They sit in the shade of nearby trees and reflect on all that's happened as the picture dips to white... And then back to black for credits. The hey, end. Are are they waiting for death? Because, I think so. Because there's like a death squad coming maybe. But isn't yeah. there also the full force of the U.S. military coming to respond to an apparent threat on the president's life? Why was there a bomb on a ship within it, sight yeah, of the president? I was going to say, I don't know that they know that there was a threat on the president. I feel life. like it would be very clear to them when they hear a bomb go off that close that yeah. it was a failed assassination <laughs> attempt. And, and you would think... The, the radio phone on the island is compromised. So yeah. Mahoney can't call in to whoever he works for to say, to check in and say, this is what's been going on. Yeah, because the but radios are But none of them are, are safe. None of them are safe. Even Correct. if they leave this island, they will they can be hunted wherever they go. Yeah, and Fa and B can probably be hunted too. If this foundation is just like, we got to kill everybody that knows anything, that could- that, a lot of dead dolphins just yeah, show up on it's, the It's going to be the cove here and it's just going to be a mess. But yeah, that's Day of the Dolphin. I actually really love it. I love that something this crazy actually got made. Because when I when I looked into it, I was like, Day of the Dolphin, that sounds like 
so corny. That sounds like people training dolphins to murder the president or something. But yeah. it's got George C. Scott, so it must just be like a code name for some important mm-hmm. military mission. You look it up. Oh, no, it's a scientist uh, trains dolphins to kill the president. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so, it's so absurd, but they play it so straight Mm -hmm. and you're like okay so avco did it so is this what uh some like low budget crazy horror director it's like what (laughs) the director of the graduate and catch 22 directed this dolphin assassin movie what is going on i know it doesn't it's not really important why they wanted the president dead but uh the president by the way was nixon at the time so dr jake terrell is the bad guy in this movie (laughs) we should have killed him that's what i'm saying but he re- he resigned within a year, so it doesn't really matter. I like this movie. I don't know if I love it. <laughs> um, it I think it's 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 an interesting watch because yeah. of just the dolphin voice. Uh, you know, growing up with uh, Sequest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and hearing <laughs> and Roy Scheider, Roy Scheider, and you know, it was I think it was, I think the dolphin's name was Darwin. Um, but for some reason, <laughs> what I love about Sequest is. Instead of teaching the dolphin to speak, there are sensors in the tank that translate it into speech. Yeah. But it translates it into dolphin's voice speech. So it's like, Bridger. It's yeah. like, why wouldn't it just have a normal voice yeah. if it's translating <laughs> it into English anyway? Yeah. That'd be funny if Stephen Hawking specifically to- spoke in dolphin voice all the time. <laughs> just for no reason. Uh, I really do want that, though, for Stephen Hawking, that he has buttons that he can change the voice of yeah. to do whatever he for wants. For sure he could. This is me as a ghost. <laughs> that's that's what he sounds like now. Because me as a ghost. Get it? But uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a kooky movie. Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, that Mike Nichols is a decent director. I think this is a this is a weird choice for him, and I think that his heart wasn't in it, and he was fighting with George C. Scott the whole time, and so it didn't turn out how it could have been. I think if Roman Polanski had stayed on, that this movie would have been insane. Like, it would have been, like, straight-up dolphin sex scenes in the water. <laughs> like, it would have meant more about the, like, right. the psychology of it and the and the craziness of teaching these animals this stuff. Well, because it wouldn't have been Buck Henry writing it if Roman Polanski... Right, and, and there is a draft of the Polanski version, which Polanski wrote on. Um, and I tried to find it online. There's a copy of it in a library in Chicago, but you can't access it through the internet. You'd have to go in person. Mm. But next time we're in Chicago, yeah, we're, we're going, going to read, read the, all the dolphin the, the porn. The Polanski dolphin porn. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to check out this script and uh, take that box of Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the tears. Uh-huh. I heard it's real sad. Also worth mentioning, there was also a vague Day of the Dolphin reference in Simpsons Season 12, Episode 1, Treehouse of Horror 11, Night of the Dolphin. It opens at the Marine World Aquarium, no longer educational, exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> Lisa notices after their big show that the star dolphin Snorky is being abused by the staff and patrons and releases him to the wild, free willy style, jumping over a jetty and Lisa, to rejoin his friends in the ocean. Little does she know, Snorky is actually the king of the dolphins and immediately sets in motion a plan for revenge. A circle of dolphins reenact the cold open of the first Jaws film by killing Lenny during a night swim. <laughs> Bottlenose bruises, blowhole burns, flipper prints. This looks like the work of rowdy teens. Lou, cancel the prom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Lou has the authority to cancel the prom. 
The dolphins flop out onto land and march in formation, standing on their flippers. They tear through Springfield, killing stock characters like the sea captain and the Krusty Burger employee, and eventually Kent Brockman is reporting on it, but they infiltrate the newsroom and change the story. Did, did I say killer dolphins? I meant killer Italians! Gray, bottle-nosed, intelligent Italians. Intelligent Italians? Something's wrong. The leader of the Dolphins hijacks a town meeting to address the crowd in the voice from this film, at least at first. Snarky. Talk. Man. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me start over. Eons ago, dolphins lived on the land. <gasps> what did he say? He said dolphins used to live on the land. What? Snorky goes on to suggest that humans forced them into the sea, and it's time to trade back. Walking out of the courthouse, we get a bird's reference as the humans file slowly through a crowd of angry dolphins squeaking and clicking at them menacingly. Jeez, so many dolphins. Ultimately, the Springfieldians, or Springfieldians? Fieldians. Springfieldianites. Is it? Is it? <laughs> uh, so I, I remember Springfieldianite specifically from uh, Bart's Comet. Okay. Marge is reading uh, the article. A young Springfieldianite has discovered a new comet to be known as the Bart Simpson Comet. Ultimately, the Springfieldianites and the dolphins face off in the middle of the town square, and as is often the case in these Halloween specials, the good guys lose and things don't go back to normal. The Simpsons float on their couch in the open ocean. Well, you gotta hand it to those dolphins. They just wanted it more. Yeah, that's Night <laughs> of the Dolphin, so that pairs nicely with Day of the Dolphin. It's great. Our director here was Mike Nichols. He got his start doing stand-up with Elaine May. Before this, he directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate, and so far on the show, Catch-22. He also directed Carnal Knowledge, Silkwood, Working Girl, The Birdcage, Closer, and his last credit was for Charlie Wilson's War. The writer here was Buck Henry. According to contemporaneous publicity materials, screenwriter Buck Henry provides the voices of the dolphins when they speak human words, though it seems likely that the voice was actually provided by actor Robert Lydiard, uncredited. So I think they were just being like more star power and like, oh, Buck Henry, who you like from TV, he did this thing. And because he created Get Smart and people like him. But it turns out I don't think he did the voice because it doesn't sound like Buck Henry at all. Um, but Robert Lydiard was actually with Edward Herman in uh, The Paper Chase. He was another member of the study group. We've discussed Buck's work as the writer of and actor in our Patreon review of Catch-22 and later writer, director, and actor in First Family. I actually think... My favorite line from Catch-22 is one that Buck Henry delivers when uh, Orson Welles is getting really pissed off at uh, Richard Benjamin. And he's like, what is that man's name? And then uh, uh, Martin Balsam's like, Danby, sir. And then Buck Henry leans in deep focus in the foreground and the camera's like right up against his face. And he's like, D-A-N-B-Y. <laughs> like, <laughs> make sure you know who it is. And he's like, have that man shot. <laughs> he's like, yes, sir. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Uh, Buck is probably best known for Get Smart which was adapted into the 1980s film The Nude Bomb without his involvement. Uh, he's also appeared in Gloria as a bookie whose son is entrusted to the care of a badass neighbor lady. He also wrote The Owl and the Pussycat, The Graduate, What's Up Doc, and Heaven Can Wait, which he co-directed with Warren Beatty. One of his later roles was as Liz Lemon's father, Dick Lemon, on 30 Rock. Wouldn't be a lemon party without old Dick. Which is also kind of funny because his 30 Rock co-star Tracy Morgan is on record claiming that Day of the Dolphin is his favorite movie of all time, which he brought up completely out of nowhere in the middle of an interview with Conan O'Brien. My favorite movie is Day of the Dolphins. I okay. Just to say that. Uh, was that the gentleman's intermission? Is that with Liz Lemon's dad? Is that what he... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
there, there's also i'm just remembering now a scene in some 30 rock episode where someone asks him a question about a word if it's a slur and he knows like the country of origin and that it's mm-hmm. a slur for black people because he said he intentionally memorized every possible slur from black people in every language and he goes through a bunch of them and one of the languages is dolphin <laughs> <laughs> The novel here came from Robert Merle. I didn't recognize anything else uh, that he had adaptations on IMDb. The music was from Georges Delarue. He has mostly French titles, including Jean-Luc Godard's Contempt. So far on the show, he also composed Day of the Jackal, the same year as Day of the Dolphin. Later, he scores Platoon, Biloxi Blues, Twins, Steel Magnolias, and Joe vs. the Volcano, among many others. The cinematographer here was William A. Fraker. He previously DP'd Rosemary's Baby, Bullet, and Paint Your Wagon. It seems like there's some holdovers from the Roman Polanski. Like, right, you, yeah. You got, you got a European composer. And, a lot of and, French yeah. uh, team and, and Fraker here from Rosemary. Later, he lights Gator, Exorcist II, The Heretic, Heaven Can Wait, 1941, and so far on the show, Hollywood Nights and Sharky's Machine. Next season, he's back for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Later, he lights War Games, Space Camp, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Tombstone, Street Fighter, and Vegas Vacation, among many others. The editor here was Sam Osteen. He previously cut Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Cool Hand Luke, The Graduate, Rosemary's Baby, Catch-22, Carnal Knowledge. After this, he cuts Chinatown, Amityville 2, Working Girl, Regarding Henry, and Wolf. George C. Scott played Jake Terrell. We had him as John Russell in The Changeling and Barney Kane in The Formula last season. We saw him last in our final 1981 title, Taps, as General Bache. He's also General Patton in Patton, General Turgeson in Dr. Strangelove, and Burt Gordon in The Hustler. Later, he's John Rainbird in Firestarter, Kinderman in Exorcist 3, and he voices McLeach in Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, he does. Joanna! Also, can't scuba dive well. No. So, and every time he's in the water in this movie, he's swimming. Like, he's moving his arms. Mm. And you don't do that when you scuba dive. It's all leg work. You propel yourself with your legs, and you generally just keep your arms, like, at your side or crossed or behind your back to keep them out of the way. You you don't use your arms, and he's swimming in every scene. (laughs) I can't put my arms down. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. Trish Vandeveer played Maggie Terrell. George C. Scott had just left his wife Colleen Dewhurst for her after all three had worked together on the last run. She had previously appeared in The Landlord and Where's Papa. She co-starred with Scott in The Last Run, The Savages Loose, Movie Movie, and so far on the show, The Changeling. And we also had her as the lead in 1980's The Hearse last season. Paul Sorvino played Curtis Mahoney. Jason Robards was evidently up for a role in the film until a near-fatal car crash took him out of contention, and most people suspect that it was the Sorvino role, but he feels like a weird fit for Mahoney, and yeah. I might have guessed the DeMilo part. Or even the the jerk from the uh, foundation. Oh, sure. Well, that would be a problem, though, because then he'd be like, even when he's an asshole, he's charismatic. Mm. I'd be like, yeah, there is a shark. Fuck you, dolphins. <laughs> We just saw Sorvino and Edward Herman together in Reds this season, and later they show up in Oliver Stone's Nixon together. Before this, he was in Where's Papa with Vandeveer and Oh God, and we've seen him so far in Cruising, and he's back later in The Stuff, Dick Tracy, Goodfellas, The Rocketeer, and Bullworth. John Denner played Wallingford. We saw him last as Henry Wheelock in The Boys from Brazil, but he has credits back to the early 40s doing voices in Mickey Mouse cartoons. We saw him as Brigadier General George in Dirty Dingus McGee and a senator in Nothing Personal. <laughs> he might actually have my favorite line in Dirty Dingus McGee because I think he's the guy who says like, Circle the wagons. We ain't got enough, sir. Well, make a half moon. <laughs> Severn Darden played Schwinn. He was Jehovah, the preacher in The Vanishing Point. He's also Culp, 
on Conquest of and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. We've seen him so far on the show in Small Circle of Friends, Hopscotch, In God We Trust, and most recently in Saturday the 14th as Van Helsing. I actually really like him in Hopscotch, though, where he's like, yeah. like Walter Matthau is pretending to be someone named Mr. Murderer or something like that. Like he picked a fake name and a, and a weird accent. He's like, you can skip the accent. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, and he like slides his uh, money clip into the drawer and like Walter Mather's like, oh, I just meant to give you the money. I didn't mean to give you the clip. Uh, I really love Severn Darden, but I hate IMDb's profile picture of him where he's like wearing like a, like a cap and ski goggles. It's yeah. Like, get a better picture of him yeah. up on there, please. He's great. Elizabeth Wilson played Mrs. Rome. We've seen her in back-to-back Lily Tomlin films, 9 to 5 and The Incredible Shrinking Woman. She was also Mrs. Braddock in The Graduate, which I think is the mother of the Dustin Hoffman character. Dustin Hoffman, who we'll see tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's also the mother in Catch-22, and later she's Abigail Craven in The Addams Family. That's the woman who's trying to pass off Fester as himself. (laughs) Edward Herman played Mike. His first credit was in October's Patreon winner, The Paper Chase. He also shows up in The Great Gatsby, and so far this season he was Harry in Harry's War, and he was in Reds. Next season, he's FDR in Annie, and later he's Henry in Purple Rose of Cairo, Brown in Man with One Red Shoe, Max in The Lost Boys. He's Richie Rich's dad in that movie, and he's also Richard Gilmore in 154 episodes of The Gilmore Girls. Leslie Charleston played Marianne. She's certainly best known as Dr. Monica Quartermine in nearly 1,400 episodes of Port Charles in General Hospital. Victoria Racimo played Lana. We saw her first as Charlton Heston's love interest, Running Moon, in The Mountain Men. Later, she's Nurse St. Cloud in Ernest Goes to Camp. John David Carson played Larry. Larry? Which one's Larry? Yeah, Larry. I think he was one of the other bad guys on the boat. Must have been. He previously appeared in The Savages Loose with Scott and Vanderveer. Florence Stanley played Women's Club. That's one of the people asking questions at the beginning of the film. She's a waitress in a goofy movie, and she directed five episodes of My Two Dads, on which she also appeared in 60 episodes as Judge Wilbur. Pat England played another woman's club member. She was the step-niece of Jack Albertson, sister of Cloris Leachman, and daughter of screenwriter Ken England, but I didn't recognize any of her other credits, just relatives. Fritz Weaver played Harold DeMilo. We saw him this season as Julie Christie's husband in Demon Seed, We'll see him next in Creepshow and Jaws of Satan. Buck played Alpha. (laughs) IMDb Trivia says, Trivia is a dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, He's named after writer Buck Henry. Alpha actually won Best Animal Actor in the 24th Patsy Awards. Patsy stands for Picture Animal Top Star of the Year. I'm going to guess that they picked the letters first. (laughs) Ginger played Beta. She's named after Ginger Rogers. And after their scenes had wrapped, Buck and Ginger actually escaped their tank and never returned. So they were wrapped on the dolphins already. There was only one day of shooting left, but they weren't in any of the scenes. Mm. And they were like, the dolphins got out. (laughs) It's like, should we look for them? That seems expensive. (laughs) So they just recycled them back to where they found them. But but we're in the middle of Los Angeles. (laughs) Where did they go? I don't know. They fell out of my car because they didn't know what it was called. Because we didn't (laughs) teach them that word. Robert Lidyard played Alpha Voice Uncredited, according to IMDb. He was O'Connor from The Paper Chase. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was he was in that same study group with uh, Edward Herman in that movie earlier this year. I think that's everything for Day of the Dolphin. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we'll be discussing Papillon, which IMDb describes like so. 
A French convict in the 1930s befriends a fellow criminal as the two of them begin serving their sentences in the South American penal colony on Devil's Island, which inspires the man to plot his escape. We leave you now with the trailer for Papillon. The man. <laughs> There's, we were talking about two guys the whole time, and it inspired the man, the man. to escape. We leave you now with the trailer for Papillon. You know, in defense, Steve McQueen is the man. That's true. He is the titular man of Papillon, because he's Papillon. As close to the edge as you can safely front it. Oh, back up a foot. All right, there. Yes, sir. Don't forget your arc, Tom. Go back to your right, Jimmy. Hold up. Let me know when you're in, Mike. Yeah, bye. Ready to roll. Ready. Here we go. First team. All right, please. Roll, cameras. After five years as an international bestseller, it comes to the screen. Unquestionably, the greatest adventure of escape ever filmed. Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman, Papillon. Until we land in Guiana, and I'll underwrite any escape you care to arrange. Done. Welcome to the penal colony of French Guiana. Whose prisoners you are, get moving! And from which there is no escape. How much would it cost? 3,000 in advance, which you pay to me, and I pay to Pascal, who provides everything. You double-cross me, I'll kill you. How much you charge to send this one as far as Panama? Guard, come here a minute. Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman. Two men with nothing in common but a will to live. And a place to die. It's up to you. You are just as much dead as you are alive. We make no pretense at rehabilitation here. We're not priests, we're processors. A meat packer processes live animals into edible ones. We process dangerous men into harmless ones. This we accomplished by breaking you. What do you think? Did he make it or didn't he? Oh, I say his chances are very poor, you know. Is that all you've got to say? What do you expect me to say? That man risked his life to save mine. The ordeals of prison. I want that name and I want it now. Then you'll die. The dreams of freedom. The dangers of escape. Steve McQueen. Dustin Hoffman. 
Papillon. The greatest adventure of escape ever filmed. Well, you've had quite a day, haven't you? Pa! Ball! Swim! Eat! Now! Man! Coat! Car! Love! One! Two! Three! Four! Five! Six! Seven! Eight! Nine! Ten! And... Pa! Give be! Pa! Give be! Fa want be now! Man say thing not!